0: Hello, welcome to another edition of IDS Talks. My name is Jonathan Sachs, Chief Revenue Officer at IDS, and I'm joined once again by my colleague, Tim LaTulip, who is a director over in our London office. Hello, Tim. Hello, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, we're here today to talk about version four, the latest edition of D3, your delightfully digestible data. And uh, I think I think our listeners uh, would be curious to find out what is it you've been up to? Great, great question. And I,
1: I hope listeners uh, d- do wonder that. Uh, otherwise, I'm not not sure what I'm doing here, but it, it's been it's been an interesting probably three or four weeks, maybe five weeks. We, we try to send out these sort of digestible bites bite-sized kind of uh, news blast every month, maybe every month and a half. They're not right on, right on cue. Uh, but, but the whole concept is to give people this easily readable uh, text format kind of thing right in their inbox that, that tells them salient issues and investigations, e-discovery, maybe what we as a team have been up to very, very lighthearted, usually a bit of humor in there. Um, this, this particular version we call the hay fever edition. So each each month usually track some kind of thing <laughs> thing going on here in the UK or, or somewhere in Europe or even the, the rest of the world. Uh, just kind of bring some lightheartedness to people's to people's days. Um, as long as it's just hay fever and not scarlet or yellow, I think we're fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. I'll stay clear of those. Got it. Uh, We've yeah we've we've had some stuff we've had some interesting things uh, going on. Uh, I think you and I and, and some others talked about a, a bit in the, the media. We picked up on the rail minister here in the UK having his laptop stolen. That made for some interesting fodder and conversation. We recorded a, a podcast on that. You know, I think the links included in our in our blast, so that that's kind of out there on the in the ether for people to listen to at their leisure. Um, in, in terms of kind of what our team's been up to, it's been it's been Pretty lively. Uh, Dan Ruprecht and myself were both in Paris recently, which used to be quite frequent. COVID, COVID, be damned, sort of slowed that down a little bit. But we've been back there with some frequency uh, already this year, and uh, we were there for Paris Arbitration Week. In addition to seeing, you know, friends and family and clients and and and, and all sorts of people, uh, we we got quite a bit out of that. Uh, meeting we we got a little bit of spring weather which ties into the hay fever thing we got a little bit of spring weather in paris which is always nice for for a few hours um but it was it was really good to see people come together from not not just france but but all over uh all over europe and, and partly the us and asia as well c- come together for paris arbitration week it's where arbitration lawyers speak about a variety of topics uh, across multiple venues uh Paris is definitely one of the only cities uh, in Europe that could handle this kind of handle this kind of event. London as well, I'm I'm sure. Uh, But the ability to kind of have so many people there talking about uh, so many salient topics, I think there's 8,000 people attend this event. So it's not everyone's cup of tea in terms of volume of people, but, but we really enjoyed that Um, shortly before that Dom Tucker here on our team, also spoke at an event with the Professional Negligence Lawyers Association, PNLA, if I've got the acronym right. Uh, Dom spoke about you know electronic disclosure issues and then touched a bit on on false evidence, which has been kind of a kind of an interesting topic for our firm for, for quite a while. Um, that sort of brings me on to to another event we recently hosted at our offices. Sometimes we use external venues, but uh, our own office is quite quite cozy and our boardroom is quite quite friendly for people. So we had uh, a number of people there. We'll probably have to run it again. It was slightly oversubscribed for the space, but we kind of touched on how false evidence has popped up for IDS in what jurisdictions, under what circumstances. It's not just in investigations. Oftentimes it's stuff coming in laterally, left and right in arbitrations and litigations, stuff not being filed even uh, properly as evidence. It's just being chucked in as exhibits. You know, I, I had this conversation where you said, ABC, you know, defendant says, no way, never had that conversation. And then a, a sort of look, uh, in, in, into those issues transpires. So, th- so the takeaway from that is, uh, yeah. you know, I think you even say it, Jonathan, sometimes, but trust your gut. If something doesn't look right, doesn't smell right, just give it another check. Uh, we, we've started, we're starting to see a lot of this. Uh, I don't know if it's more prolific or if we're just noticing it more or, or if it's both. I don't think it has to be any one or the other. Uh, but oftentimes, these are coming to us through through the clients, recognizing bits of evidence or exhibits and saying, I didn't write that contract. I didn't write that email. I didn't take that photo. I didn't have that chat. Uh, and it's 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 that kind of insight that's kind of raising flags and allowing us to do what we do best. So, you know, if that's something of interest to you, or that's you know something that's popping up in your cases bear that in mind give
0: us a shout uh we, we certainly have a lot of experience with it as yeah, of late. tim we actually uh uh i've had the pleasure of uh, having a podcast or two on the topic of fake evidence with a couple of different uh, experts here at ids whether it's involved contracts uh signatures text messages uh even uh, what uh mark g and turco um, IDS's chief technology officer uh describes as a fake computer, where we we're imaging a computer and the computer was bought three days prior to the uh to the capture, I believe if that's correct. Uh and I want to go back to the trust your gut, because I think one of the things that that you say and and other folks at IDSA on that trust your gut piece is, you know, if there's a, a single piece of evidence, there's no original and no chain of custody, and it's a complicated dog ate my evidence kind of story. That's when if your spidey sense is going off, your gut's telling you something's not right. That's when the the time comes to reach out to folks like you and other members of our team, right? Go to an expert to get a second opinion uh, to determine whether or not your gut was right or not. Is this fake? Is it not?
1: Yeah, that's right. And and that, that sort of second opinion is key. I mean, sometimes these things come to us after one or two or more people have have sort of dealt with it. Uh, we're not always the first port of call. And that second opinion from our perspective isn't necessarily expensive. I mean, I know that that, that can be relative based on quantums and budgets, but just having a quick chat with someone on our team is, is really not going to not going to disturb the budget of your, of your case. So if, if you, if you, if you want a sort of uh, opinion on this kind of thing, reach, reach out, we've, yeah. we've even got a, um, a simple checklist. It's more uh, aesthetically pleasing than, than useful perhaps, but it, it's quite helpful. You know, maybe you tape it to your desk or,
0: you know, you, you look at it when you have your coffee in the morning. All right now, two other things that I think, uh, as I recall from, from my reading of D three, as uh, I'm one of the lucky folks who, gets it. And by the way, for those of you who aren't currently getting Tim's uh, D3 delightfully digestible data email, by all means, reach out to him. You can either contact him through his IDS email uh, or um, send him a note on LinkedIn. He'd happily add you to the list, uh, but there are there are two other topics that that I recall seeing cross border, which seems like we're always involved in that, and then furlough fraud, somewhat unique to uh, to England. So, what do you want to share about those two topics?
1: Yeah, I guess in reverse order, I'd 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 steer anyone to uh, to, to articles and recordings with Dan Ruprecht on uh, on furlough fraud. I mean, I think he's recently covered some bits on that. We our, our team were a little bit. I won't say premature, but we were certainly early to that that sort of line of thinking. That the, the whole of Europe and the UK, in particular, was still in you know a hold on tight mode, kind of trying to trying to stay alive. And that was the purpose of furlough and bounce back loans and all of the things that the the Treasury here did uh, to keep things alive. the the con The concept of furlough fraud, just the 10 second version, because I'd rather people listen to Stan Ruprecht talk about this uh, than me going a rabbit hole, but. But furlough fraud here was meant to pay people's wages in a way that uh, the government subsidized the companies quite heavily, such that they were only paying, you know, twenty percent of the the employees' salaries out of pocket, sort of thing. But the idea was they were meant to go home and sit sit down and not work. And the large majority of these people were not professional services people. They worked on, you know, tills and shops, or they worked loading trucks for non central companies and th- these kinds of things so the, the whole idea was how do we how do we leverage data to understand if people were working when they were legitimately and uh in, from a regulatory perspective not meant to be working uh through, through the furlough agreement so that that was a that's an interesting topic uh it, it's still it's still to come uh so i i'd Implore people to check that out if, if they got the time, uh, we, we can follow up with links or uh, point you to our website where you can find that that content. We also continue to work on cross-border matters, and that's a very catch-all term, uh, I admit. Cross-border could mean lots of things to lots of people, but in a general sense, it, it typically means a, a dispute born in one country that has elements of evidence, custodians, individuals in one or more extraterritorial places. So if it's venued in the United States, it has people in Canada, Germany, Austria, that's very much a cross-border matter. Th- there's a couple of ways you could spin that. It could be a UK company that's dealing with a DOJ request, also a cross-border matter. But we we get quite a variety of these, uh, and no two are alike. Uh, they have overlapping elements, but the, the DNA of them are, are different each time. Uh, sometimes we take on cases with data. That are based in Europe, but they're all data points related to people in America. So, by virtue of data protection and the way it works in Europe, those people almost become part of a European embassy of data, and in a strange way that seems counterintuitive. Uh, But we have to treat their data generally as as those of those in Europe, Uh, or, or at least our data protection council we work with tell us this. So, navigating that scrubbing uh, pseudo anonymization, all of this kind of thing, uh, is something we do regularly. How do we work with teams message these expectations? All of that's very important there's rarely a, there's rarely a time where we say, no, can't do it, won't do it full stop. There's usually some kind of mechanism we can work out as long as legal advice has been brought in data protection. Lawyers have given consideration, you know, we, we know where to raise the flags. We know how to effectuate. Uh, the transfers as and where we're we're happy to see it continue. Uh, obviously, it's uh, interesting uh, work for our firm, but I also think it, it's a nice segue into to what we're looking forward to uh, in the next couple of weeks. So I'm speaking again. Uh, I think it's on the 13th of April, but it's with the American Bar Association (ABA) uh, and it has to do with American disputes uh, and. American corporations and their lawyers understanding and dealing with data in Europe and how, how it makes it w- way back to the US under what circumstances. Now, we don't give legal advices. We're not a law firm. Uh, but because we deal with it so heavily, uh, it's, it's definitely a place of comfort for us. Uh, and it's a topic I like speaking about. So I look forward to speaking with uh, my esteemed colleagues on the ABA panel on that very topic.
0: Nice, nice. Well, um, Tim, I was, uh, I was looking forward to getting your D3 email. Uh, I enjoyed reading it. Admittedly, I was aware of a lot that was in it, but sometimes I forget all that, that you and our colleagues over in London, um, are doing. Um, so I wanted to to thank you for continuing to put that content out again. If you want to get on that list, um, reach out to Tim. Um, I also want to thank you, Tim, for joining us today, as well as our regular subscribers and those that may be first time listeners. If you'd like to learn more about IDS or want to subscribe to our IDS Talks podcast, you can visit idsinc.com or wherever you normally get your podcasts from. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, I look forward to talking more about data with you in our next edition of IDS Talks. Thank you, Tim. Thank you.